As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him st strongly saying, stay with us because it is almost evening and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, <clears throat> blessed and broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? That same hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem and they found the 11 and their companions gathered together. They were saying, the Lord has risen indeed and he has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the road to Emmaus and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. We celebrate the written word of scripture. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. We celebrate the living word, Christ among us. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Please pray with me. Holy Christ, you are the bread of life. You come to us with streams of living water. Nourish us with your word that we might be strengthened for the journey and with you and with each other find our way to life. Amen. In my years serving as chaplain and dean of students at the seminary, I carried carried forward a tradition that had been handed on to me, the annual Seminary to the Sea hike. It is just what it sounds like, a hike from the seminary here in San Anselmo. I see Pat Perry smiling because she knows about this. A hike from the seminary here in San Anselmo to the sea, to the Pacific Ocean, and specifically to Stinson Beach. It is a long, long walk. Every year in the week leading up to Labor Day weekend, the seminary welcomes its new students. And in the late, late 1980s or 1990s, a group of folks led by Polly and Bob Coote, friends of these congregation, and Mary tells me also John Irvine, launched the first hike, and it soon became the culmination of that welcome week, a week of orientation with this closing seminary to the sea hike, a, a pilgrimage of sorts. It's about 12 miles 11 miles up, 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 over the side of Mount Tam, and then one mile down, 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 down on the series of switchbacks. I actually think the down, down, down can be somehow harder after all that up, up, up. But when my dean of student colleagues at other Presbyterian seminaries across the country heard about this, they liked to joke that I was confusing seminary orientation with military boot camp. It wasn't required, and actually only a handful of folks 10, maybe 20 did it in any one year. The far bigger event was the picnic, the feast that awaited us on the beach when we arrived. But the fearless or fearful few sat out every Labor Day Saturday around 7.30 a.m. at the corner of Kensington Road and Bolinas Avenue. We walked on up to Phoenix Lake and then up to Bontempe and Lagunitas. We'd stop there for a little snack. Then we'd walk some more, lots of hills, 
a meadow to cross. It was late summer, so by about 10 or 11, it was usually very hot. We'd move at different paces, usually sifting out into two or three smaller groups. Some would set out at a fast clip. Others would walk more deliberately. Over the course of my 12 hikes, I progressed from speedy at age 37 to steady and deliberate at 51. And on those 12 hikes, I have only made one wrong turn. Grace abounds. We would walk, and along the way, we'd talk. Remember, this was the culmination of Orientation Week, a week of entirely new things. Many of the folks had uprooted their lives, left jobs, moved long distances. They found themselves in this rarefied world where we set out to dive into ancient Hebrew and Greek texts and wrestle with the big questions in life and learn to serve and to lead in the confounding world that we inhabit. Come Friday of that week, many of them were thinking, oh my gosh, what have I done? And so on this long hike, we'd talk at first the basics, where we were from, then on into the shared events we'd experienced in the week. And by then, well, um, we were only about half a mile into this 12-mile hike, so there was time to go deeper. How'd you get here? What has life been like for you so far? As we traveled along, the walking configuration would shift. You'd walk with a few folks for a while, and then you'd somehow find yourself walking with others as tempos varied and paths diverged and converged again. There was time to talk and time to walk together in silence. There's something about walking, particularly a long walk like that, that, that somehow opens up space and time. You set out on the trail, and step by step, you move out into the world. Each step takes you a bit further from what you know. You get further and further from the busyness you've left behind. There's just you and the road and your companions along the way. Time seems to open up, too. On a 12-mile hike, it starts to feel like you've got nothing but time. Are we almost there yet? Time to walk and to talk or not time to be. Rebecca Solnit says that walking is one of the elemental ways that we place our bodies in space and time and make meaning in the world. There are all sorts of reasons folks set out on a walk. We walk to get from point A to point B. We walk through nature. We walk for our health. We set out on pilgrimage in search of meaning. We walk the streets in protest to change the world. Walking, Solnit says, allows us to be in our bodies and in the world without being made busy by them. A long walk opens up the opportunity to notice, to see, to listen, to take it all in, to think, and to talk, because, as Rebecca Solnit says, I suspect that the mind, like the feet, works at about three miles an hour. She calls walking, reading with one's feet. This is nothing new, this walking and talking and making meaning in the world. Aristotle taught while walking. That was his thing. They even call his school of thought the peripatetic school. Peripatetic, it means walking around, the walking around school. That's my new word for the week. Think of medical school. 
where a teaching physician walks the halls and rooms of a hospital followed by a long line of students. There's walk-and-talk therapy, living into the notion that sometimes it's easier to talk honestly when we don't have the intensity of having to look each other in the eye. We can simply walk alongside each other and be, and in quiet, thoughtful steps, share a bit of life. In this morning's scripture, on that first Easter day, just three days after the trauma of crucifixion, stunned and bewildered by reports of an empty tomb, these two followers of Jesus set out on a long walk, a seven-mile walk from Jerusalem to the town of Emmaus. We don't know why they're walking. Maybe they are heading home. Maybe they're leaving Jerusalem in fear, but there's not really any sign in this particular scripture that they're in any type of hurry. Maybe they are going to share the news, but it's pretty clear they don't really know what the news is yet. They set out on this seven-mile journey along a dusty road, and they have time to start to piece things together, sharing memories, what they saw, what they heard, what they felt, comparing notes as those who suffer a traumatic experience often do. Something has happened that is too big for any one human heart to grasp. And so we each bring our piece of the story and start to put the whole of it together. And as they are walking and talking, another traveler comes alongside them on this open road where paths converge. They don't recognize that it is Jesus. And he asks them, so, what's been going on? I imagine they stop, their jaws drop. Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who doesn't know what has happened there these past few days? And so they tell him the story. I love that. They tell Jesus the story of Jesus. How Jesus was a prophet of God, mighty in word and deed. How the religious authorities handed him over to be crucified. We saw him die, but now some women of our group went to the tomb and found it empty, and a vision of angels told them he was alive. This is what has been happening, what everyone is talking about, and we are trying to figure out what it all might mean. It's so overwhelming. It's like the world has come crashing down, but we had hope. But we had hoped that he was the one to rise up and to bring the powers down and to set us all free. Do you wonder why they didn't recognize Jesus? There are lots of theories. Some writers say maybe the risen Christ didn't look the same. Scripture says their eyes were kept from recognizing him, so some writers say maybe God had a reason to hold off on that recognition. Maybe. But maybe they didn't see Jesus because they'd given up on seeing Jesus. But we had hoped. They had hoped. And Jesus had been crucified. The last thing they expected was to meet him on the road alive. So they tell Jesus this story, not understanding who he is, not understanding really what they are saying. And then Jesus says, oh, 
how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets declared. I love how Joy reads that with such love and compassion. Oh, how foolish you are. And now Jesus, whom they still don't recognize, Jesus tells them the story. Beginning with Moses, Jesus tells them the story of Jesus. This is what has happened in these days. This is what God has been up to from the very beginning, saving the world from everything that does us harm, good news for the poor, release for the captive, freedom for everyone who has been oppressed. And they arrive in the village of Emmaus. It's almost night, so they invite Jesus to stay with them, to linger for a while. They gather for a meal, and Jesus takes bread and blesses it and breaks it. And oh, they recognize him. In the tender gaze of his eyes, in the cadence of his blessing, in the smell and the taste of the bread, it all comes together like the colors and the shapes of a kaleidoscope, all falling into the place, all the walking and the talking and the breaking of bread, their companion on the way, the honest bits they'd shared with each other as resurrection unfolds and flows out through and beyond Easter, we get these glimpses of life. And here, these two on the road to Emmaus experience the risen Christ in walking and talking and in the breaking of bread. Those three things. In the Gospel of Luke, they are arguably the three things that Jesus did most his whole life. Walking. The Jesus of Luke is always on the move. From the very first words of the Gospel, the good news is traveling from the beginning, from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. Jesus moves from place to place, teaching, healing. He takes his disciples along with him on the open road. He journeys all the way to the cross and into resurrection. And here on this road to Emmaus and beyond this, we know that resurrection moves into Pentecost and the spirit of Christ and the body of Christ will take this good news even further indeed to the ends of the earth. Talking. From the very beginning, Jesus has been talking. He is a talker. The Spirit of God is upon me. Good news for the poor, freedom for the oppressed. All that teaching and the breaking of bread. When Jesus breaks bread at the end of that long, light, that long walk, maybe Jesus takes bread and blesses it and breaks it, and maybe they remember the Last Supper. But we don't know for sure that these two were there. It's more likely, I think, that they were there all along the way when Jesus fed fed the multitude. When there were 5,000 hungry bodies to feed, Jesus took five loaves of bread and a couple fish. He took the bread, blessed it, and broke it, and everyone had enough. That's what they remember. In the walking and talking and in the breaking of bread, it all comes rushing back. These, these two on the road to Emmaus, they experience the risen Christ in resurrection in all the same ways they experienced him before. Resurrection has indeed turned the world right side up. What Jesus has been doing all along, good news for the poor, release for the captive, freedom for the oppressed, All that flows on in this resurrection life, stronger even than death, more powerful than any power that has ever held them back. Good news all the way to the ends of the earth and on out into forever. In the walking 
and talking and in the breaking of bread, they experience the risen Christ and the power of resurrection in the fullness of life, in every step, in every word, in every taste, sight, sound, smell, and touch. I heard an interview last week with Gretchen Rubin, who's written a book that's just been released called Life in the Five Senses. It tells of her journey to slow down and notice life intentionally using the five classic senses. Sight, sound, smell, taste, and touch. She begins with the simple premise that our bodies are how we experience the world and other people. Our senses, she says, hold the power to connect us to the people and the moments that we want to experience and remember. Each sense brings us sensory experiences that considered together, connected and shaped by imagination, give us our experience of the world, our experience of life. It feels so basic, it's almost elemental. It also feels like what's happening here on the road to Emmaus. As bodies move together through space and time along a dry, dusty road in the heat of a desert day, as those weary bodies settle in at a table and break bread and taste and smell and see the goodness of God more powerful than anything that does us harm alive and loving them still. As we travel this Easter, we are looking for glimpses of life, and I'm going to invite us to stop and pause here. For these first three weeks, we've entered into these resurrection stories. Mary holding on to Jesus, hearing him speak her name. Jesus coming to the disciples in a locked room. Peace be with you and breathing on them the warm breath of the risen Christ. Thomas, touch my wounds. It is I myself. And here, two more walking and talking and breaking bread, glimpses of resurrection glimpses of life, and in the, the coming weeks we'll look for glimpses of life in the life of the early church. But right now, the invitation this week is to use your five senses. Sight, sound, smell, taste, touch, and to look for some of those glimpses of life yourself. Take time this week to slow down and to notice. Maybe Take a walk if you want. It does not need to be 12 miles long. Or sit in a still moment. Or in conversations. Or in a shared meal. Or in the touch of a hand. Notice as you move through the world and encounter others or any bit of creation. The colors and shapes. The voices and sounds. The textures. What do you see? Hear? smell, taste, and touch. Where do you glimpse life? Right here, right now. There's a moment on that seminary to the sea hike after the 11 miles of up, 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 when we crest the final hill, and there it is the Pacific Ocean. I sometimes forget how near it is. You stand there as the world opens up, as far as the eye can see, there's Stinson below you in the curve of the beach over to Bolinas. 
They're the cliffs that run back down toward the city and beyond all that, the expanse of ocean. The stale air of the dusty trail gives way to the salty smell of ocean breeze, the first cool breeze we've seen since we've set out on the, this morning. As we start down those switchbacks, we feel the ache in our weary bones. We complain to each other, but we are almost there. As we descend, we start to hear the waves crashing in on the beach. We can almost taste the picnic that awaits. Our bodies moving down the trail together with every step, sight, sound, smell, taste, sensation in the expanse that stretches out before us. Everywhere, 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 life. 